to Parapod's City of Parramatta Libraries podcast about libraries, reading, books, everything in between. And I'm Catherine, and today I'm here with my colleagues Nissa and Yi. Hi. Hi. So look, um, recently um, International Women's Day was marked actually 8th of March, and um, the motto for International Women's Day was more powerful together. So bearing that in mind, uh, my colleagues and I decided to choose some books on feminist themes, women's rights, activism, um, recent books, and, you know, discuss them and review them. So Nissa, you're going to tell us a bit about the book's that we're going to discuss today. Yes, yeah, so uh, the first book we're going to have a look at is The Life of Germaine Greer by Elizabeth Kleinhens. Um, apologies if that's not how she pronounces her name. So uh, this book was actually published in October 2018, so it's fairly recent, mm-hmm. um, and Scribe was the publisher. So we're going to have a look at that. Germaine Greer, of course, is a big name in uh, feminism worldwide. Um, it's actually nearly 50 years since The Female Eunuch was published, which is just amazing to think that it's been half a century yeah, so since 1970. That, yeah, since that seminal work came out. Oh. So she's a polymath. Still, still in print? Yep, still in print, definitely. So she's a polymath who's a writer on a, on a bunch of topics, including feminism, Shakespeare, art, literary history. She's also a foreign correspondent, a columnist, and an academic, among many other things. So that's the first book we're going to have a look at. We're going to go on to the next book after that, which is Betraying Big Brother, The Feminist Awakening in China. And that's by Lita Hong Fincher, um, uh, and this was published by Verso uh, around the same time as the Germaine Greer book, actually, September 2018, so within a few weeks of each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's by uh, Lita Hong Fincher, who is a researcher and uh, she's focused on um, this group of feminists in China called the Feminist Five. So a lot of the story, um, a lot of what she's talking about is um, anecdotal evidence from them about the state of human rights in China today. Uh, we'll finish off the podcast with the last book, uh, The Women's Atlas by Joni Seeger, um, which was published by New South Publishing. Uh-huh. Now, uh, again, uh, this book came out in October 2018. So I think in the lead up to uh, International Women's Day, uh, quite a few things came out towards the end of last year. So these were all published within a few weeks of each other and we'll be having a look at them, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so moving on to our first one. Uh the Life of Germaine Greer. Um, Catherine and E, you guys read uh, the read book. Yeah, yeah, so I've, I've only oh. just started reading it. Um, Catherine, what did you think about it? Well, Lisa, I read this book with great interest and um, I am personally um, really, I've always been really impressed with Germaine Greer. Fun fact, I think I mentioned this to you, Germaine Greer's secret ambition was to be a librarian, ladies. Yeah, it's true. She loves libraries and she she wrote a lot of her books and her doctorate at Cambridge. So, yeah, look, we have a big fan there. But look, um, getting back to the career of um, Germaine Greer, look, this particular book is problematic in some ways. I'll tell you why. The author, Elizabeth Klein-Hentz, is an Australian academic, Mm -hmm. but she did not have the permission of Germaine Greer to actually write this quite uh, voluminous book. And she mentioned Germaine Greer 
Green was uh, refused to assist her to give her any uh, help. Exactly right, exactly right. So Elizabeth Klein, um, uh, hence, mm -hmm. uh, relied on the archive. Yeah. So if, for your information, the archive is the body of work mm -hmm. that uh, Germaine Greer uh, sold to the University of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and she sold were, it for three million. For three million. To the charity. Yeah, she did. She she uh, donated the money to a charity. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it. The, when I say it's problematic, it, mm. it actually means that, you know, the, there was some correspondence at the beginning of the mm. book and Jermaine Greer was actually quite hostile because Jermaine Greer actually she, hates biographers. <laughs> She's famously said that if you want to know about an author, you know, that, and she quoted Dickens, she said, if you want to know about Charles Dickens, read the books. And then you'll know everything you need to know about the author. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think I don't think that distracts from the scholarship in this book. And I, I, I personally did find this book a bit ponderous, but I actually do find Jermaine Greer's um, career to be really interesting. And I must admit, I did know quite a lot about her career. And um, she seems very uh, at the beginning start with a, a troubled child. Have a difficulty at the yeah, she she had a, a difficult childhood, and she wrote uh, a book about her uh, her childhood, and Her it dad. was uh, Daddy, I hardly knew you. So yeah. she's written um, actually the books that she has written after the female eunuch mm. were were actually um, the the women's the whole women there was one the show. the whole women um, her most her most successful her most famous book is still the female eunuch, yeah. um, and she argues in that book actually that. Um, uh, women um, are psychologically and emotionally castrated yeah. because of their experience. Yeah. Um, and it resonated with like virtually the whole world. And that was mainly because she's such a um, larger-than-life figure. Yeah. You know, um, she was um, a, a social commentator. She was a performer yeah. in Cambridge. So she was able to um, present her point of view in a way that many other feminists in the early 70s weren't. And she actually gained a huge worldwide platform. And women accepted her as their spokesperson. Mm -hmm. So it was quite an extraordinary, um, you know, sort of rise to fame because, you know, I just... There's just so much material out there on her. But she is a really rigorously intellectual woman. Um, she's contributed a lot to feminism. Her most recent um, non-PC, I would say, comments do sort of cast a little bit of a shadow mm -hmm. over her, you know, her more nuanced writing, which is academic and intelligent and thoughtful. But I think now as she becomes uh, uh, an older commentator, she's less in step with young feminist points of view, mm -hmm. clearly because her um, statements about transgender... Um, Rape. Um, yeah, for example, that's true, Nissa, are really out of step with, yeah. with you know, sort of modern society. Including, I think, some of the stuff she said about Indigenous men and um, domestic violence, which Marcia Langton, um, formerly her friend, I believe, does um, did sort of criticise, and that's examined in the book towards the end, the Absolutely. biography. But yeah. I, just in terms of the biography itself, what do you guys think... I mean, biographies have been written about so many figures and I think biographies, biographies have been written about her before. How do you think this stands out from what's been done before? Do you think the fact that the archives became available for public researchers less than two years ago, do you think that would have had 
an impact on the biography in terms of you know it, how it much does. material there is? I think it partially the the uh-huh. car, uh, archives impact the, this uh, author's writing, but at the same time, author also interview many friends of her and the people who know her and give very uh, different perspective and make it this person is is one-sounded views. It's not really just come from her archive. And what do you think of the tone? Because I know when I was looking at a review, one of the reviews said that, um, you know, it's it's a good work, it's interesting, um, you know, it roughly follows a chronological sequence about her life with a little bit of back and forth. Um, but I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but the author clearly has a lot of respect and admiration for Germain. Mm. And I don't know if that has an impact on her impartiality or the way she deals with the material. Mm. Uh, because her tone definitely, I mean, she admits it herself that she is someone who admires Germain and was influenced by her. Mm. So there's that respectful tone throughout, even when she's, you know, uh, shedding light on some of the not so great aspects of Germain. Mm. I think it's very balanced. Would you because, think about yeah, yeah, it's very balanced because um, when she talking about Germain, she always gave a Germain's count and also the the person who in this story give that person's account. Mm. So in that way, balance the whole story. Mm. For example, when um, the author talking about Germain's first marriage, and Germain just gave the different story of uh, her first husband. So it's, I think it's the balanced uh, view. What do you think, Catherine? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, um, Elizabeth uh, Kleinhans actually says, uh, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, she was going to call this uh, book um, Jermaine Greer, um, Behind the Mask, something yeah, like yeah, that. She yeah. had a subtitle. Yeah. And then subsequently she de- decided by looking, by researching, yeah. um, you know, looking through the archives, yeah. that in fact, you know, there's nothing hidden. There is yeah. no mask. Yeah. And I mean, I really admire that. I think that's Jermaine Greer's great strength mm. is that she's very forthright and she always says exactly, awesome. even if it's unpopular. And, and actually, ironically, that's what actually, you know, launched her career as you know, an academic and a spokesperson for for uh, feminism mm-hmm. in the seventies was because she said what she she um, uh, um, thought, and you know what? There's a just a funny quote. Well, we should finish up on this one. But uh, Life magazine, funnily enough, yeah. um, wrote an article about her. You know, way back in the seventies, and said, "Jermaine uh, Greer, something like the um, saucy feminist." that even men like. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that in some ways that sums it up, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and people do like her. Yeah. Although recently when I saw her on Q&A, I thought she was very quirky and I certainly didn't agree with everything she said. <laughs> well, anyway. The interesting yeah. thing is as a Western feminist, she has always – well, I mean, I know there have been issues in the West, of course, and she had to, to fight against sexism. But as a Western feminist, she, was, she did have that space to grow, to become a public person. And that's not the case in many other parts of the world, um, one of them being China. Um, and that brings us to our next book, Betraying Big Brother, The Feminist Awaking in China. So I think this book, all of us actually read, didn't we? Um, it was very, Really enjoyed it. Yeah, very interesting. Mm. Um, 
gosh, I mean, I, I wouldn't know where to begin. There's so much going on in this book. I mean, the focus is, of course, the Feminist Five, this group of feminists who were imprisoned and released and gained notoriety. Um, and the the author, um, the researcher, Lisa Hong Fincher, she did, I think, publish a book before called The Leftover Women. So this follows on from that and it talks about the plight of feminists, young feminists in China today. So you've already got that gap of not just like culture where you've got uh, Jermaine Greer from a Western culture and these Chinese feminists from an Eastern one, uh, but also a generational difference. These are millennials. These are younger people. They're in their 20s and 30s. Um, their experience of the world has been completely different. The spaces in which they can uh, express themselves are very different uh, from what uh, Jermaine would have experienced. So what did you think about this, um, E? Did you have any comments on? Um, yeah, I was... Uh... It was shocking, and when I read the whole story, Doctor uh, Doctor Fincher uh, described the what kind of state China have. But when I look into her research methodology, this is part of my view. She basically wrote this book by her uh, personal interviews, and also based on secondary data uh, she used from a website to collect those data. Of course, when you go through her database, you can find those data balanced. One come from the uh, Chinese very uh, renowned uh, news agent, and other one is uh, come from Western view. But again, I feel uh, those interview, personal interview is uh, more subjective mm-hmm. and cannot represent whole state of China. And that's one of the uh, things about the book. They said yeah. that it relies more on first-hand accounts rather than statistics and numbers. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the whole quantitative versus qualitative research coming in. How do you rely on one where you get more information with one, but there's less impartiality? And that, yeah. as you said, may be and like an issue here. And also she she, uh, she got those uh, five uh, activists. They come from countryside. And their upbringing uh. is totally different from other areas. And how you use this small sample to present mm-hmm. how China is a state, mm-hmm. I really, uh, I think is uh, very uh, arguable, mm-hmm. uh, debatable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that I, I, I did enjoy this book very much so. Um, yeah, what do you feel? Well, you know, I, um, I think in some ways the strength of this book is that it is an emotional first-hand account mm-hmm. um, of the, um, you know, the I suppose the ordeal that these women were subjected to, like young twenty-year-old women, uh, but university-educated um, activists, but in an almost uh, laughably benign, to you know, for Western viewed by Western standards, yeah. mm. um, in terms of they're protesting about being sexually harassed on public transport. Which is absolutely in a Western society something that would be applauded, mm. and yet perhaps the population they crowd it, so they give it the space of the people to. Yeah, well, uh, but but I mean, you know, this is the irony mm. of you know the literal you know the uh, the the saying: you take a sledgehammer yeah. to to crack a peanut. Mm-hmm. But I that, mean, there's five women yeah. to um, to mark International Women's Day. Yeah. Um, in, in in a sort of a quite you know benign mm-hmm. and and sort of like almost like a, a socially progressive yeah. 
thing to do that most of the societies would applaud being um, charged with, I think it was, it was, very, it was very interesting, it was um, encouraging disorder by attracting a crowd. It was something that, it was some kind of yeah. criminal charge yeah. that just seemed to me absolutely preposterous. But it's interesting because we're seeing it from, I suppose, like a, a Western point of view where these acts would seem, I mean, I mean, I know it's, I guess in this case, it's interesting because if you try, if you if you read the book, obviously the author takes a very sympathetic view, but we have to remember that the author grew up in Canberra and she's, um, I think, Chinese-American. So if you talk to people who are in China, perhaps they have a different perspective of it. Um, and then there are lots of things that come into it. You've got social media in China. Yeah. Um, it's uh, controlled. That has to be, uh, people have to keep an eye on that. There's only so much you can do like that. Um, so many things you can do, sorry, within the bounds of social media because there's heavy censorship. Uh, there's also acts that can be seen as provocative. Uh, you've also mixed in nationalism there because, uh, you know, getting grants from foreign institutions mm. is a problem because then you're labelled a foreign agent. Yes. So it's all mixed up these issues of feminism and nationalism and racism and um, like colonialism. I guess that all gets mixed up into it and that's how the... government's really scared it will grow bigger. Yes. Connected with foreign... Because like like Catherine said, some of the stuff is quite benign, like occupying the men's toilets. That's one of the things that they did. More toilets for women. Because they wanted more toilets. Exactly. I went to the football match and I couldn't find toilet because all the men went to the female toilet. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I really did love the um, irony of the... um, China hosting the UN Women's Conference, yes. and um, that coinciding with the arrest of the uh, the Feminist Five and the uh, subsequent, uh, you know, uh, social media, um, you know, pressure on the Chinese government mm-hmm. to, you know, embarrass them so much yeah. that after 37 days the women were released. And you hate to think what may have happened had uh, social media not taken up their case yeah. and advocated for their release. I mean, well, even within it's horrifying Ch- to think, isn't it? Even yeah. within China itself, because of the censorship, they've found ways to sort of go around social media. Um, but I, just before we, we end this, I wanted to read um, a story uh, from the book, and I think it's quite a good indication of, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a good metaphor basically for the struggle that they're going through. So they, there, was a China, um, there was a feminist um, in China uh, about 100 years ago. Um, her name, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to get E's help. Chiu uh, Jin is the feminist. Yeah, so she lived about 100 years ago and there was uh, she wrote this uh, book called The Stones of the Jingwei Bird and um, the story goes, um, uh, so uh, the youngest daughter of the fiery emperor Yandi was named Nua, meaning, uh, sorry, mispronounced it probably, meaning little girl. Uh, and she longed to see the sun rise above the ocean, so she rowed in a boat out to the East Sea at dawn. As she was rowing, the cruel East Sea whipped up a heavy storm that capsized her boat and drowned her. At the moment of her death, Nua transformed into a magnificent bird with a white beak and large red claws, screaming out Jingwei, Jingwei in anger and pain. Jingwei, the soul of Nua, named after the sound of her anguished screams, sought revenge by picking up stones in her claws from the mountain where she used to live, flying back and dropping them into the sea each day to fill it up. The EC mocked Jingwei and told her to abandon her pitiful effort. You silly little bird, how could you ever dream of filling me up with those stupid stones? But she vowed never to give up. Jingwei would persist 
every day for thousands of years, no matter how long it took until she succeeded in filling the seed. Now, the author actually used that metaphor, used the myth um, as a metaphor for the struggle uh, of Chinese women fighting, mm. fighting for their freedom and their country. And I think that's just, you know, you can apply that to any. Very apt. Yeah, yeah you can really yeah. apply that to any situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, uh, you know, the book, uh, yeah. one thing about the book, uh, you can go back and forth. So it does have a linear structure, I guess, yeah. but it is easy to go back and forth and dip oh. in and out. So, like um, and yeah. yeah. Which and, is great. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, takes us to our final book, The Women's Atlas. So The Women's Atlas, um, I think this was originally published several years ago, but it's been updated every so often. I love this book yeah. so much. And I love the point of view of the feminism. And if you could see, and what a feminist at the beginning, and Joni said about... It's about uh, give attention to women mm. as much as you gave men, you know, daily, routinely. Yep. Correct. So they wait. It's totally different from this uh, Jamal Green. Um, so an- another thing is through this book, we can uh, see what kind of state China is in. I'll cross-reference yeah. that with the other book. And yeah. If you have, if you're interested in China and the sea current state, you brought through it. Mm-hmm. And China good point. is in a very good position. Good point. It's, it's a really good book from that point but of view where it's, it's, it's a browsable book. It's colorful. It's got infographics. It's got beautiful. statistics. Yeah. It's, um, it it's, com- it's comprehensive. Yes. Including everything. Yeah. Even though drainage. Can you imagine? Can drainage influence uh, Women's rights. Yeah, yes. I mean, I mean, it covers so many topics like women in power, work, education, health, yes. birth rights, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's got like um, statistics from all over the world. It uses quotes. It um, contrasts certain countries with others, and it brings up some really interesting t- statistics. I think, Catherine, you were saying that you'd seen some that you thought were quite surprising in the book. Well, look, the, the point I just wanted to make was this, um, and I mentioned it to you, Nissa. That um, by and large, this book is a fantastic, you know, infographic book that really does chart the state of uh, women today, and it is important. And many um, important feminist uh, writers have uh, acknowledged that. But statistics can be skewed, and the point that I made was that. For, I noticed for the Philippines, for example, it looks as if women have a fair bit of political power when actually they don't. You know, the average Filipino woman is very powerless. But it's a um, – and this, and this applies to, to, to other developing countries that often women or sometimes women have become head of state or important people within the government. This has occurred in Africa. They've become members of parliament. But still, by and large, women are very powerless. There's um, political clans that do promote and advocate for the advancement of the women in their family – but to the exclusion of the general women, the you know the downtrodden women, and so that's something that you know we have to bear in mind. Mm. But you know, by and large, this is a very accurate and um, th- this book, you know, yeah, is I was statistically. When I find that you in UK uh, about the property deeds, mm. they don't give uh, female uh, heritage. So oh, for the you, titles, yeah, yeah the, the title, hereditary titles. And you, you want 
if you um yeah all the title go to the sun directly yeah if you haven't got sun we'll go to the distant and you, relatives and you yeah unless you put your daughter in that way and you wouldn't think of that in the uk it's like we're maternal According yeah. to the book, maternal, um, the rates of uh, uh, women dying in childbirth, that's dropped yeah. everywhere in the world, but it's actually doubled in the United yeah. States since the 1980s. That's amazing. And Very you would surprising think these and shocking. First yeah. world countries, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, look, a bunch of interesting statistics presented mm. beautifully. Yeah, um, and the, the sport player, it pained differently. But yesterday I heard the news about Chinese, Chinese um, support, females' uh, sport. They gave it enough. Uh, attention, as a, that that as a male received. Yeah. So they they said talking about uh, women in China hold up a half sky. Yeah. So that's a, another type of truth. That's a very yeah. well known saying. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that again is another perspective. You know, if you compare yeah. it to the book that we've read before. So yeah, yeah. great book. And I think it's it's. They all just um, complement each other so well. You've got Western feminism, you've got yeah. Eastern feminism, and then you've got one, yeah, all over the world. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, you know, lots of uh, food for thought, ladies. Um, some, you know, some things that really um, um, are controversial in some ways, some ambiguities, some grey areas. But you know, by and large, hopefully things are going to improve for the uh, for w- uh, women worldwide. Let's yeah. hope so. Yeah. So, look, thank you so much for being here today and we will see you soon. So, uh, I'm Catherine and I'll say goodbye for now. Hope to see you next time and my colleagues too. Yes, sir. See ya. See you. The material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker do not necessarily represent the views of City of Paramount Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage that you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection.